I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, hello, and welcome, or should I say welcome back to the Indie Football Podcast World Cup Daily Edition from Russia. I'm Ed Malian, sports editor of The Independent, and uh, today we'll be talking about England versus Panama, a 6-1 victory um, that doesn't quite put England in charge of uh, Group G. In fact, it makes the whole picture very murky, but more on that later on. Um, We'll also be discussing Group H's games. We saw uh, those today, the final set of games uh, for the second round of group fixtures. Uh, And we'll also be discussing uh, Germany in a little bit more detail. We've got Mark Critchley on the phone. Uh, who was in Sochi at that game uh, but couldn't speak to us yesterday because he was just too damn busy with uh, all the wild rewriting that was going on at the end of that game. Uh, and then I guess we'll look ahead to the final round of group games, won't we, Miguel Delaney, who sat alongside me? Oh, we will indeed, yeah. So, uh, you know, a, a fun, jam-packed show for your Monday morning uh, ride to work, I'm going to assume. Um, if you're not at work today, um, great, good on you. Um, but first, uh, given that they were actually at the game, and uh, they were so excited to talk to all of uh, you listeners today. Uh, I'll send it down to Nizhny Novgorod, where Jack Pitbrook is with Jonathan Liu at the, what's it called, the stadium down there? Just Nizhny Novgorod Stadium? Yes, that's it. Nizhny Novgorod Stadium. Um, and once they've given us their view, um, and you know, I'm sure some tangents and ramblings as well, we'll come back and uh, we'll deal with that just about everything else. Hi, Ed. It's Jack. We're here just outside the stadium in Nizhny Novgorod. It's almost 9pm and we've just finished seeing a game which I think I didn't expect at all, which was England beating Panama 6-1 with five goals in the first half. I think, like a lot of people, but I certainly felt victim to this, I spent the last few days writing earnest build-up pieces about how we had to respect the Panamanians and how uh, you know it was going to be a difficult, long game, and they would be very well organised and disciplined, and we had to be patient and pick them and pick them apart. As it happened, they were complete shit, so much worse than I was expecting, and it was kind of slightly disgracefully easy. Uh, and Johnny, what did you think? Oh well, I, I think it's, it's a quite an, an English trait. Hello, everybody, by the way. Uh, it's, got, it's, it's a distinctly English trait to go. Well, we won six one, therefore they must be terrible. I mean, they were they were terrible, but they. England made them look terrible. England kind of smashed them open like a piñata. They they were um, you know, the first ten minutes, as Southgate admitted, they were England were just kind of probing, you know, look, looking for the gaps. Panama playing six at the back. Uh, they came forward in the second half and actually had some chances, which I, I guess we we'll probably want to talk about that that aspect of it later because England did get opened up quite a few times in the second half. But I mean. The set piece goals were clearly the result of some some like, meticulous like, drilling and, and practice, and, and that, that that was very impressive. Uh, I thought the move for Lingard's goal kind of it certainly hinted at the fact that they they've got they've got that in their locker as well. You know, they're not just a set piece team. Um, so even though Panama were limited opposition, they kept Belgium out for half for half a game, and England made them look like like, like Sunday league sissies. Yeah, I mean, I think it's worth emphasising how at odds this was with what we've seen in the competition so far. Like, we were at Brazil, Costa Rica, where Brazil took 91 minutes to score. Like, generally, that's why. Well, what, sorry, that's one of the reasons why people were so surprised with the Russia games. Like, it's very difficult, I think, at this level to have this kind of win where you keep on scoring. Um, like the the issue of open play versus set play is quite an interesting one. Um, there, there is a view going around in that I've been just been texted by two members of my family that England were bad because they didn't create any chances or score goals from open play. Apart from the two goals they scored from open play. Yeah, but like it was always going to be a game dominated by set pieces. Like international football is like that, and especially against a team as dirty as Panama, who stop you getting into any rhythm in open play. Obviously, you're going to be more reliant on set pieces, and it's also worth emphasising. 
England's set piece are brilliant. They're so good. Like, they're so, like the delivery's good. There was a really clever move, like Stones' goal. Like the, that, that was cool, but I kind of wish it had been scored by Sterling. But yeah. that was a great move. Um, the, you know, we could have scored more from set plays in the first game against Tunisia. So I think this is something clearly that Southgate's worked very hard on. The the rap against England for the last sort of six to twelve months, and you saw it through the friendlies again, you know, against against Brazil uh, and, and and Italy and, and Holland was that they had really good spells of play and they put together really good performances, but didn't convert it into goals. Here they converted it into goals. Um, I mean, I don't I don't really know what more you can ask of an England side than like than, than smashing them six one. It was um, it was continent. Believe believe people. Yeah, I mean. I mean, you you will all be familiar with the records by now, but uh, it was certainly unlike any England tournament game I can remember. Like you know, to and, and they are unlike, and this England team are unlike any England tournament team I think we've seen. Even even the Euro 2040, which was so much more stocked with talent, still had this kind of you know they had an essential frailty to them that, that Portugal and France in that tournament and and Croatia at times kind of exploited. That there's a. I don't know, they're taking us to new places, this lot. Yeah, I certainly agree with that. I think that there's no way that the the 2006, 2010 or 2014 World Cup teams would have won a game like that because they just didn't move the ball quick enough, they weren't, they weren't aggressive enough, they weren't confident enough. Um, and, you know, I mean, that isn't just that isn't a hypothesis either. That's proven, like, we have yeah. evidence for that because those games literally happened. They went on getting getting bad results, getting <laughs> bad results, getting bad results. I mean, we, I suppose we, you know, uh, to, to, to temper that, before before this turns into, like, England fan TV, um, we should probably talk about that, that second half, I guess. And uh, there, there were a, a couple of big chances, including the Panama goal that came from set-piece, defensive set-piece, which is really going really to annoy Gareth Southgate. I mean, was, was, did we see in that second half maybe uh, where England's opponents, next few opponents, hopefully, might be able to get at them? Yeah, I mean, well, I, I would say that, like, that always happens in games like that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it was, England were always going to take the foot off the gas a bit in the second half, uh, particularly given they made changes. Um, so I wouldn't worry too much about that. I'd probably worry more about the first 10 minutes when actually England looked vulnerable once or twice trying to play the ball out from the back. I do think like if there is a weakness in this England team, it's the back three. Like They, they struggled at times in the first game as well. Uh, given It's interesting because like under other circumstances, you'd say, well, Belgium are going to cause us serious problems on Thursday. But it now sounds as if Belgium are not going to take Thursday fully seriously because they want to come second in the group so they can stay in Moscow. Uh, not have to fly down to Rostov, have an easier time of it in the quarterfinals should they get there. So it might be that we're playing up against um, Maran Falemi, um, Emil Penza, Mark Wilmots, <laughs> uh, and it, so it will actually be an easier game for us. Um, and that means that I mean it's possible with this England team we won't really know. They, they won't really get tested test until quite deep into the tournament. Yeah, well, I mean, Belgium still... I mean, even a second-string Belgium will, will definitely have the players to test England. And even looking further beyond, uh, the Colombia against um, Poland game is going on at the moment. But basically all four teams in that group, uh, Japan and Senegal, as well as Colombia and Poland, they have the pace on the break. They have the, kind of the, the, the quick like, attacking fielders and wide players that can really expose a, a three-man defence on the transition if they're not really paying attention um, so that, that I suppose is, is the slight note of caution yeah I mean I think there's not really what I'm trying to think what else there is to say about this uh, it was weird it's one of those games where it was so if the first game was a game where like there was I think quite a lot of debate afterwards about how well England played what it meant I mean there's a massive range of opinions in the different match reports I think this game like there's going to be so much more unanimity like it was such a kind of one one story one theme yeah, game it was, it was totally categorical and I, I guess for over the next few days we're going to see a slightly revisionist view of things which says oh, well Panama were terrible and they're one of the and they are one of like probably the worst team England have faced at a, at, a, at a major tournament in a while that, that, that Panama were terrible and that they are, they are still going to get you know going to get found out and, and there's, there might even be a bit of truth to that but Hell, they've been 6-1. 6-1. Another intriguing subplot from this game is how bad must the USA national team have been <laughs> to have not been able to qualify behind these guys? Like, they were terrible. Um, 
And like USA finished significantly below them in their hexagonal series, which determines qualification from CONCACAF. I mean, I know so I, you know, a few of us were taking the piss on Twitter about this, and it was, you know, someone told me that under Con- CONCACAF referees basically let Panama players get away with all the diving and fouling they want, and that means it's not going to be like it was out there today. Um, but still, like... I mean, I don't, think we can, I don't think we can discount the possibility that they are, a, you know, an OK side who just played really badly. And I think between about 20 and, and 40 minutes, that, that, that was definitely true. And, and the other thing is that the, all the grappling and the pushing and, you know, the, the slightly sneaky fouls and some, and some not so sneaky fouls that they were, they were, that they were coming up with. England were, were making the referee, were, were getting in the referee's ear about that, which I thought was quite intelligent. I mean, it, it was almost sort of a rugby mentality there, making sure the referee sees everything and, and, and is basically poised with the whistle then because, because then they're watching out for that kind of stuff. That showed a game management that, again, England teams of the past haven't always had. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, oh, yeah, I, we should also be clear. Three of this Panama team, three of the Panama back four, play in, in uh, the, MLS, the MLS. In the MLS. Uh, so read into that what you will. Um, it's, I mean, like, I, not not to sort of you know rehash an old topic, but the fact that Italy are not as well cut, and we know Italy are terrible as well. But the fact that Italy are not as well cut and Panama are just doesn't quite feel right do you think when you watch games like this that the world cup should be like world cup places should be based more on merit as in more from europe and less from countries that aren't europe well i think they should be they should be based a little more on merit i think back in sort of 98 when uh when the 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 competition got, got expanded to 32 teams uh there was a you know, there was a kind of a noble aim to that, which I think still holds true. That it shouldn't just be about—it's not just about getting the 32 best teams. It's about also representing the world of football and all its different styles and cultures. Uh, and and you have to, and, and so there's a, there's a balance to be struck between that and keeping it competitive. Now, what's happened in the last generation is that we've seen the European nations streak so far ahead, with, with the exception of 2002, which people, you know, which looks a little bit of an illusion, that the European nations are actually so far ahead of their, their counterparts in Africa or, or, you know, North America or Asia or even South America. Um, the, the European nations have looked, have looked, mid-tier European nations have looked stronger than pretty good, like, countries from 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 other confederations and that that's a long-term trend that football i think has to address yeah it's true i mean it, it's yet another it's funny we people have this image of international football which is that oh well like club football has been destroyed by capitalism but at least international football is like noble and pure and untouched whereas in reality at least on the pitch if not off the pitch but in reality like um I think international, you know, the le- the levels of international teams are increasingly determined by the wealth of those countries in terms of their ability to churn out players. That's you know, that's why Iceland can now draw with Argentina. Yeah, I mean, pa- Panama's got a Panama's got a, a population of four million, and which is about I think ten or eleven times what Iceland have, and the you know the. But even the facilities that they've got, the manager was talking about it afterwards. The facilities that they've got, the standard of the domestic league, players still still get paid by basically by check from a little window at the at the at the end of every week. And you know your average wage is something like two or three hundred pounds. It's about the same as what like a builder or a labourer would get. I mean, the 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 infrastructure in countries that aren't rich and aren't European. Uh, is is still not not create not not giving those countries the best chance of success and and again that's that's an issue for the for the game as a whole. But I guess another other question is: Do we think the World Cup? Will be, this is where I think I struggle a bit. Would the World Cup be better off if countries like Panama or maybe Saudi Arabia, although that's probably less good example, were replaced by like generic European countries who didn't quite make it, like Czech Republic or Slovenia or Norway or the Republic of Ireland? Would well, it be would it be better or not? It could be better football, but the, fo- the football the football would be better. I think the football would be less diverse, which is which is an issue. But I think you know, like we can sneer about countries like Serbia and and, and Switzerland that, and Slovenia and, and other countries beginning with S that don't necessarily bring a huge amount to the party. But every country has you know brings brings it you know its own flavor its own its own pride i mean the 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 kind of the hopes and and dreams of a nation to to borrow a hopeless a hopelessly hallmarky phrase but uh expanding the, the expanding the competition to 48 teams without addressing that lack of quality is only going to make the world cup worse 
Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, I think that's probably it from us here. Um, listeners who are still listening, the correct answer to yesterday's trivia quiz was Graham Souness. Graham Souness was the Newcastle manager who lost his job days after his Newcastle team were beaten 3-0 by Man City, inspired by uh, occasional Russian TV pundit Albert Riera. Who, who we later realised doesn't actually speak Russian. He gets to, when, when they, we were watching the, the TV with the sound off and apparently they, they dub Russian onto his, um, onto his voice, onto his face afterwards. Well, I mean, if they can do that for him, they can do that for anyone. Yeah, yeah. There's plenty of England players who could probably probably use some of that. And with that, we'll leave you, uh, and we will see you again tomorrow evening. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, Johnny. Um, we've heard what what they make of it. Um, I think Jack's term for Panama was uh, agricultural. Um, Johnny saying, you know, don't lose sight of the fact that England made them look bad, and it was everything. Uh, Without wishing to take anything away from England, which is a separate argument, and obviously everything is very positive around at the moment, Panama are dreadful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they aren't necessarily a good team. Um, but, you know, England have gone out to bad teams before and, and had bad results against bad teams before. Uh, so I, I think everyone knows that they're going to come up against better teams. What I've been saying since the start of the tournament is I think it's good that Gareth Southgate found a system where they can play like this and completely dominate uh, bad teams, very bad teams in some cases. But one little tweak, I think, you know, he just rotates the midfield slightly. Maybe someone like Loftus-Cheek comes out and you bring in Dyer to play alongside Henderson. And then suddenly you've got a nice counter-attacking team um, where you've got speed going forward. You've got width uh, with, with, with Trippier and Young. You've got still a solid defence in the back three. Although, I mean, they did give up some chances, especially early on to Panama. Um, there are also people who point out that England had one shot on target from within the box all game, and that was Harry Kane's effort where it hit his heels. Um, but I think you're just trying to take some of... Uh, uh, that's a slightly contrarian take, yeah. I believe, because, because fundamentally... England would have had more shots on target if they hadn't been wrestled to the ground, yeah, yeah. given away two penalties. You, know, you, well, you get those penalties because goal-scoring opportunities were denied. Also, when a game becomes that easy for you, it changes the pattern of it. I mean, just the game was won within five minutes. So it's, it, it's, If they wanted more shots, they could have had more shots. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. You know, there's no point in, in taking stupid shots. And um, I was watching uh, Rio Ferdinand's analysis because it, basically on the Russian television, there's no real analysis of anything. And it's... Uh, you know, it's just not how we're used to watching football, I guess. And Rio Ferdinand tweeted out a little clip of something he'd said on the BBC, so I watched it. And I thought, you know, his thing was interesting that it was, it's how unbelievably patient England are in possession and, and the fact that they obviously just trust the way they've been coached and, and, they, and they just stick to it and they stick to it and they stick to it. And we've seen this tournament with um, Argentina in particular that, you know, when things go wrong, sometimes players can not follow instructions. Sometimes they can follow them too much and not improvise. You know, there's always um, grey areas, and, and coaches don't want to beat all the creativity and impulsiveness out of good footballers. But they do sometimes stop typing. They do sometimes want to, you know, have players play their way. And I think Southgate's team do play a very relaxed calm sort of football and, and I guess when you go that many goals ahead that early it's much much easier to uh, to be relaxed and, and, and to play that calm possession game but we'll see against Belgium I mean there are still all the permutations which uh, I mean I'm not even going to bother explaining them all but it might be better for England to finish second than yeah. above that yeah um, especially given that well actually the one danger is possibly for both really Germany could finish second. In fact, it looks like likely Germany will finish second even though they win their last game just because of the way that's panned out and Mexico will probably get at least seven points securing first spot in that group. But then you would want to, Brazil could also finish second which would put them back over on the other side. So it could be dangerous for both Belgium and England regardless of where they finish. Uh, but I know it's, it feels likeliest that that last 16 game will be Brazil-Germany um, which means whoever finishes second in the group the path to the semi-final could likely involve, say, uh, Colombia, Japan, or Colombia-Senegal, because that's the place you play off that game. Um, and on the other side, then, Mexico-Switzerland. Yes. 
So, um, I mean, I, I wish we had Critch here, who is the, the permutations guy, really. Um, but we, we have gotten on the phone um, from Sochi, where he was at the incredible Germany game last night. As I say, he didn't have time to talk to us because he was so scrambled by that late Tony Cruz free kick, um, which we discussed last night. And uh, here he is to, to talk to us a, a little bit about Germany, but also uh, the permutations in Group F, which is even more complicated, uh, would you believe, than England's group. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, Critch. Uh, we didn't talk to you last night, but we do get to talk to you tonight. So... Um... Tell us a little bit about that that wild Germany Sweden game then. Hi Ed. Yeah, I um I haven't listened to your four a.m. analysis of the game last night just yet, but I imagine it was about as coherent as mine was at the time. It was really difficult to formulate any thoughts on the game, to be honest, because it just had everything: um, a surprise lead, a fight back, contentious refereeing, a red card. And the latest of late winners. Um, I suppose on the first half display alone, you would have to say that much of it for Germany was like the Mexico defeat. Uh, there was gaps in defence, space left in behind, and you, you would think that a team with more speed and pace than Sweden would have exploited that better. Um, having said that, Sweden still exploited it. They still had their moments too. And despite how limited they are. Um, so I suppose that despite the win, there will still be cause for concern there. I mean, as, as bad as Germany were against Mexico and, and they go behind against Sweden, you you have to give them credit because in the end they do turn it around. Yeah, yeah, they do turn it around. I, I think you have to give credit to Lowe for his substitutions, which um, maybe didn't necessarily change the game, but they at least maintained the momentum after Royce's equaliser just after half-time. And... Um, you know, though there was never any sense of inevitability about the result, you know, you always hear in the end Germany always win and that. Like Germany just gave themselves the best possible chance of victory, pressing high, uh, pinning Sweden back, even when they went down to 10 men. Um, I suppose a draw was as good as a defeat for them at that stage, but it still required a level of bravery that they deserve credit for because another Swedish goal would have just destroyed them at that point. And I think we have to talk about the free kick, just because the free kick was almost like a, a defining World Cup moment, like one of the best moments of this tournament so far. That the way he hits it, the intelligence to roll it to the side and have the, the player stop it, the accuracy to hit it exactly in that corridor he does with that sort of swaz and pace, and you know the, the way that he put it perfectly in the corridor of uncertainty where someone might have got a touch onto it and put it in, but it's going to go in anyway. Uh, what can you say about it? Yeah, what can you say? Um, at the time, myself, I was uh, confidently finishing off my match report, not considering he would shoot. And even if I guessed that he might, he'd, uh, he'd had such a poor night up to that point that I might have bet against him, to be honest. He was uh, woeful in the first half. I don't, I don't think many people disagree with that. He was at fault for the Sweden goal. And altogether, he was just not having an enjoyable tournament up to that point. But, and I think... I think it's easy to understate this. He is class. He's a player at that elite level capable of these kind of divine moments. And the free kick is one of them. Um, there's some talk over whether it's a turning point, a watershed moment. I don't know about that. If they play Brazil in the round of 16, and if Brazil are in any sort of form, intent, perhaps on avenging the 7-1 from four years ago, I think I probably still back Brazil in that fight. And... 
Well, I don't know. This was this up to this point last night. This was still a squad underperforming uh, and capable of so much more. And we've seen moments like that cruise free kick galvanise teams before this. Much worse teams than Germany are. So I suppose there's no real reason it can't happen with them either. There's no real reason this can't be a moment that really kicks on and uh, and the tournament starts from here. And with all this uh, going on, Germany are alive still. Uh, you're our permutations man, so try and explain uh, Group F to us because the, the top of Group G situation is, is very tight between England and Belgium, but Group F is one of the most uh, complex situations where kind of everyone seems to have a chance of finishing anywhere from kind of top to bottom. Yeah, it's a mess, to be honest. Um, okay, so let's get, try and get it clear. Mexico only need a point, then they're through. Sweden are through if they win or if they better Germany's result. Germany need to win by two or more or better Sweden's result. And South Korea, amazingly, are still not out of this tournament yet, but they need to beat Germany and hope Sweden lose. So, I mean, there are also possibilities of a three-way tie for first and second or perhaps a two-way tie for second. And in those cases, I think even some of FIFA's own rules on this stuff isn't, aren't even clear. Um, so, I think what we can say is we now expect Germany to beat South Korea after the other night, whereas Sweden and Mexico is a much tighter call. On the evidence of uh, yesterday, I think Mexico go through as winners with Germany behind them. But I, I would still say don't quite yet write this limited and uncomplicated but sometimes very brutally effective Sweden side off just yet. Good stuff as ever from uh, from Critch down there. He's going to stay down an extra couple of days for the uh, conclusion of Group C, uh, which is Australia, Peru. Australia do have a chance of qualification if they win that final group game against Peru. Um, I guess we should address before we go on to kind of looking ahead to this final week week of games in the groups uh, we should talk about uh, do you, is there you got anything you want to say on England first anything more you'd like to say on England uh, that, that hasn't already been said it's very difficult to get a read on England because of the nature of their first two games uh, Tunisia are much better than Panama but they did kind of suffer stage fright in that first game uh, but on the whole even despite that I think everything is quite positive and just the nature of this competition means England should not certainly not be fearful of anyone they really face, to be honest. I think there's, this is worth a go for them. Harry Kane uh, is in the box seat now for the Golden Boot. I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo has had a good start as well, but, but Kane's got a hat-trick to add to his uh, first two goals. And, and five goals is usually pretty much enough to put you in contention for the, for the Golden Boot full well, stop, and he's got it in the first two games. He's already got the same amount of goals that uh, the top scorers in 2006 and 2010 got. And is one off the top goal scorer for seven of the last ten tournaments, which was always six. He's not going to reach uh, the record, you'd say, which is what Jules Fontaine scored 13 goals yeah. in one tournament. Um, very unlikely in a different era. Uh, who did he rack most of those up against? Who's they must have had one game against someone utterly dreadful. To be fair, I think, I think it was one of a very complete... Um, actually, we've got the, uh, I've got my computer right in front of me. We can, yeah. we, we can check. You, you find out who Jules Fontaine <laughs> scored most of his goals um, against. Well, I, I, I think there's quite an even spread, to be fair, right through the. Um, right through, in fact, I'm almost certain. I think he scored in every match bar the final, obviously, because um, France didn't make it. They were knocked out by Brazil. Let's, here we go. Fontaine. Players and coaches. Just Fontaine. The big man. I believe he's at Stad Rem, who of course qualified for two European Cup finals. This is really bad uh, audio. We're on an audio medium, and no. basically, I'm waiting for you to. This way. Okay. So oh, here we go. So, yeah. oh, the big scoring games: a seven-three win over Paraguay, yeah. a three-two, a two-one, a six-three. He's got three against Paraguay, seven-three. He's got two against France and a three against Yugoslavia and three-two defeat. Oh, two-one win over Scotland here. And it's that, it's that man Fontaine again with the, with the goal that seals it. One there. 4 0 against Northern Ireland in the quarterfinals. Fontaine with one again. No, two, sorry, two. So, yeah, he scores, in, he scores in every game he plays in. Then one in the 5 2 defeat in the semi against uh, Brazil. Now, I suppose this is, I mean, of his 13 goals, four of them come against uh, West Germany in the third and fourth place playoff. So that's. Get out of yeah, my yeah, face. Yeah, 1958 is. World Cup. Absolute scum. 
Um, so that's nine. nine. So it's yeah, nine. Nine, nine. Nine's still good. Nine's a good total. But nine's an achievable total for Kane this yeah, time yeah, yeah. To, to bring it back to something that people might actually care about. Um, how do we feel about Group H? So it's a very open group uh, with Colombia, who were the favourites, you'd say, at the start of the tournament to win this group. Um, they're, they're now back in the mix. They beat Poland in the late kickoff. Poland have been really disappointing, to be honest. Um, and they're, they're mathematically out. Poland are definitely out. Colombia with an impressive win today, 3-0 over them. Japan-Senegal was a great game earlier on as well. Japan might be the team that surprised me the most in terms of... Uh, like Mexico, I knew were capable of, of a shock. I guess you didn't expect them to do it against Germany. But, but Japan, I really thought, might be the whipping boys of this mm. group. And um, they played some great stuff. I know they're packed with... Um, playmakers and, and nice passing players but you know that doesn't always work out it's not necessarily a balanced way to have a team but they have found a nice way to, to play good football I think that their coach yesterday was asked how he deal with Senegal's physicality and all that sort of stuff he said well I can't ask my players to grow six inches I can't ask them to be faster so we're just going to have to play better football than them and they played better football I think than both teams have come up against so far albeit Colombia disadvantaged for 85 minutes by Carlos Sanchez's red card so who do you think has gone through? Colombia or Senegal. I mean, Japan. I think will do enough. Especially Poland could be could be, you know, given how the tournament's gone. Yeah, so Japan Poland is a great chance for Japan to go through. Um, I'd be interested to see how many how many times have Japan got through the group stage because they seem to qualify yeah, most. 2002, 2010. They seem to qualify a lot uh, for the tournament, but they're a bit like Mexico that uh, they never go deep. Yeah. You never see them in the quarterfinals, despite always getting a ticket. Um, but they, they've been really good, and, and Takashi Inui is a player. I, I, don't single, don't, don't sing while I'm recording. Well, I mean, you can, like, if you want to do it on mic, but not when I'm actually trying to speak. Um, Japan, uh, yeah, Takashi Inui is a player who was great for Ibar um, in La Liga, and, and it was always really interesting oh, because. correct. Delaney is correct. Yeah. Don't third person yourself either. <laughs> yeah, 2002, yeah, 2002 2010. Yeah, and, and they're the only times they've ever got out of the group. Okay, interesting. Um, yeah, Takashi Inui, when he was at Abar, you know, a tiny little club in the Basque country, like a 4,000 uh, seat stadium in the hills there, the Green Hills. And it's basically the home to like a, a bunch of Japanese journalists who would follow Inui around. And every time they played away at whatever stadium, the Japanese journalists would be there and they'd be, you know, tracking his progress and reporting it back home. And it was always funny to see them at this tiny little club. And then now he's signing for Real Betis, who are obviously a bigger club, kind of really on the up on the Kike Setien, who's a very talented coach. Um, and Inui is, is a very talented playmaker himself. But they've also got, in the Keisuke Honda, who's a veteran. Um, they've got Makoto Hasebe, who's another veteran. But again, these are two players that have played a lot of football in Europe and they've got Shinji Kagawa who is uh, you know a star for Borussia Dortmund and he did, he did quite well at Man United he was certainly popular at Man United it was just, it just kind of just, maybe the, he was popular yeah but he just almost wasn't a role in the team because really really the issue there was I suppose United ended up getting Van Persie when maybe they hadn't fully expected and it kind of just negated Kagawa's role a bit it didn't quite it didn't quite perhaps uh, work out as well as it could have done um, but everyone, I think, knows that he's he's a good player and he's fun to watch and he's you know very technical. Um, but he's just he's got like he's actually got like a lightning turn of pace for a playmaker. Um, he is quick off the mark, and uh, it's just a good midfield. That's an interesting midfield. Um, the problem was that uh, Yuya Osaka, the, the striker, was not considered to be that good, and basically he's played quite well this tournament. I think is the, the major uplift. Shinji Okazaki, we know, is is a willing runner he's not necessarily the most natural finisher of all time but he's great to have in your team because he helps you win the ball back in, in, in good positions and then when you've got good playmakers like they do you're going to create chances uh, they've got players like Mayu Yoshida who's obviously a Premier League veteran you've got uh, Atuto Yoshida the fullback and uh, Nagatomo the fullback who've been in top European leagues they've actually got probably the best Japan team I think I've ever seen when you consider previously they've kind of had a few players playing in the, in the big European leagues but I don't think ever to this extent so um, I think it's good for them to go through and I think that they've been really impressive so far and I've actually quite enjoyed watching their games um, which is, to be honest, the only thing I care about at the World Cup. Um, Senegal have been interesting, their fans have been great. I think uh, 
we all knew that they were going to be kind of thunder and lightning attack. Not a team that you want to go high against because on the counter attack they can shred you. Um, the goals today again slightly for two. Oh no, the, the, the Wagway one was decent, wasn't it? Um, but Senegal have got a real chance of of going through from the groups, which would be great for them. It'd be great for African football. They're by far the best African team at the World Cup, you'd say so far. Um, but if Japan and Senegal were to go through, uh, it would be Colombia who are the odd ones out. So, what would your prediction be from uh, the final games in Group H? I think Colombia going through. You think Colombia goes? Actually, through? I can't... They they have quality. They have genuine, yeah. genuine quality. I think maybe there's a bit more to them than Senegal, who can be a bit. Even even today, and I mean, they should have beaten Japan today. Just, I mean, the way they tactically set up. I think Japan probably had more of the game, but it felt a bit. It, it felt Senegal were a bit kind of clever about it, only to kind of suffer these kind of lapses. Uh, and I think Colombia could exploit that. I feel very sorry for the odd one out of these three teams because I think they've all brought something good and interesting to the World Cup. And as I say, that that is really the bar which I set. Um, let's look at you know this last week of, of fixtures, Miguel. Um, so we're going to get two groups a day. Um, starting obviously tomorrow with the decider in, in Russia's group and the decider in Spain's group. Russia and Uruguay are both through. We know that. Um, Egypt and Saudi Arabia are both out. So it's a, a battle to see who finishes top um, in Group A. Do you think that it's going to make a massive difference? Because either way, you're running into Spain or Portugal. Oh no, well, Iran as well, but... For Russia and Uruguay, you'd expect them to both have trouble getting beyond the round of 16. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Uruguay have been much poorer than we'd expect. True, but if Spain play Uruguay, say, they're exactly the sort of team that Spain uh, particularly struggled against, these dogged defences, as we saw in the Iran game. I'd expect Spain to have a bit too much, but... uh, um, Yeah, you're right. Iran versus Portugal is not going to be easy and all the Portuguese players were really keen to point that out uh, when we spoke to them after the Morocco match uh, the other day and Carlos Quiroz knows the Portugal players well um, there's obviously like it's a well coached team they defended incredibly well against Spain and I think they probably deserve something from that game despite you know, obviously having very little of the ball so Spain-Portugal, Miguel, um, you're still expecting... I mean, you, you, at the start of the week, were telling us that you thought Iran could do Portugal yeah. in your own uh, inimitable way. And you still believe that, or do you think Portugal will get through? I think Portugal will get through, but I don't think it'll be a comfortable night for them. A draw is enough, obviously, for them. So, so they're going to be favourites. So we've got Russia and Uruguay going through from that group, obviously, but we still fancy Spain-Portugal. Do you want to should we just whip through all the other groups quickly? France, Denmark, Australia, Peru. France are through for sure. Um, Denmark need a point against France. Mm-hmm. So that, that game we're going to be at, France, Denmark. Or are you coming to that? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, France, Denmark, we're both going to be at. And, and you're looking at France, Denmark, and you're saying, right, so both teams need a point. Denmark could top the group if they win it. Um... Australia need France to beat Denmark, which isn't, let's be honest, it's not out of the question. And then Australia beat Peru by one goal. Yeah, so just beat them, that's fine. Goal difference-wise, it'll work. Um, so you've got to prefer Denmark here. But yeah. equally, you know, you do expect France would beat Denmark and you do expect Australia would beat Peru. So in, that, see, in that scenario, the Australians go through. See, see, the odd thing as well, actually, is that, uh, I mean... Notionally, France could take it easy, but then if they do, if they send out uh, a kind of a second place team and Denmark beat them, then Denmark will top the group. So it's, it's actually, you know, I mean, at first glance, that group looks kind of done, but it's actually not. It's, it's, it's very far from done. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a fair bit of intrigue still there. I am, I am interested as to what France also, do. Also, just, just, just on France, I mean, you never know how difficult Deschamps is going to ultimately make it for them. Correct. I don't expect them to rest loads of players. I think there will be some, obviously, but. But not loads. Group D is the one uh, we're very interested in. Croatia, Nigeria, Iceland, Argentina, Croatia. The only team that are through from this group. Um, They are probably going to be group winners, looking at that goal difference. Uh, It's very difficult for Nigeria to catch them. But really, it's second place that's still up for grabs because Argentina play Nigeria. 
knowing that a win will put them above Nigeria. So, and they also know they have to win. Mm-hmm. So they've had to approach this game with all the, the, the wild stuff that's been going on in the camp, uh, including today's press conference. It's going to be great. Um, all the wild stuff that's gone on. Argentina know a win could put them through. But they also know that if Iceland beat Croatia, which isn't out of the question either, then they could go through. However... You could see Argentina putting a few past Nigeria. If Argentina hit their stride, they could beat Nigeria 3-0. Mm-hmm. And Nigeria would have to attack, right? Um, Iceland, if they beat Croatia, you can't see them doing it by much. And the goal difference between uh, Iceland and Argentina is only one. So there is a scenario where Iceland and Argentina both win, but Argentina leapfrog both Iceland and Nigeria. Um, if I am confusing you at home, then I can only apologise. Either way, what I'm saying is Group D is one of the most interesting scenarios. Group E... You mentioned that Brazil might not finish uh, top of this group. Uh, Costa Rica are out for sure. Brazil play Serbia in their final game. A point takes them through. A win ensures probably that they top the group. Possibly that they top the group. Um, Switzerland play Costa Rica. Switzerland have got to be pretty confident of going through because they know a win against the Costa Ricans. I actually think that could be a draw though. Um, And why do you think that? Uh, because I think Costa Rica are good defensively and Switzerland's main strength themselves is defence. Like that, that could actually be a bad game because of the kind of tension involved as well. Uh, we, Costa Rica haven't scored a goal yet this tournament and I, I feel like if Switzerland score one, then they're fine. They, yeah. Switzerland, Switzerland are one of the teams that I was perhaps slightly harsh on. I called them boring and said they shouldn't be here. Um, but really, they are not... They're not as boring as I thought they would be. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't like to, uh, to be facing them. No, I, I think that they're not, they're not as terrible a team as you might think. Um, Serbia still have the chance to go through, as we said, um, but they need to get a result against Brazil. Um, there is a scenario where they draw with Brazil and Costa Rica beat Switzerland and Serbia go through. But uh, that seems unlikely. Um, Group F, Mexico aren't secure, as Critch uh, explained earlier on. Um, Mexico, Germany and Sweden all very much in the mix. South Korea, amazingly, if they beat Germany, could go through as well. So uh, that's going to be a fun one, the conclusion of, of which is yet to be seen. England and Belgium both played two, both won two, both scored eight, both conceded two. And they both got six points. Um, who finishes top, as we discussed earlier, it's going to be really interesting. And Group H, uh, all to play for. I fancy uh, the Japanese to go through. And I think you're right. I think Colombia could pick off Senegal in that last one, which um, takes us to the round of 16. Um, at that point, all bets are off. And, and I think to, to bring it all the way back round to England, because you know today felt like very much like an England day. Um, for all the good performances like this, England do have to show it in the knockout stages. That's where they haven't, they haven't won a knockout game since 2006, Ecuador. Is that right? Yeah. Um, if you look at the teams they have beaten in knockout games over the last like 30, 40 years, the only good team they've beaten was Spain in 96, basically. And that's and that that not, that not Spain of now, is it? Also, that, that game, I mean, it's actually quite interesting given how Euro 96 is viewed. I think England were really bad that day, and it was amazing actually they came off with a with a performance as flat as that after what they did to Holland. Like Spain were, and I'm not just speaking this as a half Spaniard, they were robbed that day. <laughs> the the, the Manjarin uh, goal they should have been they should have been allowed. Uh, Spain should have a penalty as well, as far as I remember. But there was there was two big decisions that went against Spain. Um, robbed. I, I refuse to believe that uh, the host nation would ever benefit from refereeing decisions. Um, yeah, so I, I think. I do believe, I do believe that Gareth Southgate, you know, we, it's, people are kind of latching onto the fact now that he pays a lot of attention to detail. And things like, I was talking to um, someone who's close to a player that has used the same striking coach as, as Gareth Southgate has taken to Russia with England. And uh, he uses the videos of Harry Kane striking the ball that, you know, Kane, obviously a guy he coaches, he shows that to other strikers that he works with because he's like, this is the example to follow. Because Kane has the most pure strike in terms of his follow-through doesn't come too high off the ground. I think it's below 20 centimetres or something like that. Was the, I can't remember the exact number. I think it was 20 centimetres. 
um, the, the arc of his leg is, is a perfect pendulum swing. He is so good at aiming the ball, he always finds the corners of the net. Um, it's it just a little bit of extra attention to detail is not just having a coach for strikers, but someone who focuses on the striking of the ball, which at some point is the most important thing. And you walk, watch the penalties today and it's like, OK, well, that is where it really manifests itself. Mm. Um, he's a player who plays on instinct anyway. If you can coach ex- extra good, like better technique into him, marvellous. Um, the set-piece stuff we've talked about, you know, and, and how they've used different uh, ones today, where Stones previously was a, uh, like one of the four raiders they had, and then today Stones drops out the box and then gets a, a long run in it, which is completely different. Um, Gareth Southgate is interested in, in NBA techniques and NFL techniques for, for set plays, uh, like what they call screens and screen passes in... Um, in NFL and in the NBA they use screens to get players just you just need half a yard to get a shot off uh, so you can score and that is what Gareth is bringing to the role because really this four weeks is is a tiny part of the job the real job has happened in the last 18 months or so and they have taken a lot of external things on board and I think uh, one of the other things that he realised is a World Cup campaign kind of comes with two gears you've got when you're playing against teams worse than you mm-hmm. and you've got when you're playing against teams better than you and if you're happy to acknowledge that there are teams better than you and you're willing to change your style which I think he is he's smart enough to do that it's what we've talked about it's, he's found a system where he only needs to make one minor tweak in the centre midfield yeah. basically rotate the three man midfield from being a triangle with two points at the bottom to being two points at the top uh, the last couple of games it's been it was Lingard and Ali and then Lingard and Loftus-Cheek as the two points at the top with Henderson in behind. Mm. He's rot- if he rotates it, so it's Henderson and Dyer behind a more attacking midfielder, then that will be perfect. It would be more like a 3-4-1-2, wouldn't it? Whereas now it's kind of a 3-3-2-2 three, three, two, two sort of shape. So I think he's really thought about this, and that's why I think that coming up against Belgium and eventually they're going to have to play a good team. But when they do come up against these good teams, I think Southgate has been preparing for this for a long time in the same way that he's been preparing for Panama for a long time. It's just a different plan. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I think he'd be one of the he'd be quite well versed. Maybe this is a big challenge for England, though. It's, I mean, because one of the issues in previous tournaments, I suppose England have ultimately been it's not necessarily beaten by the first good side they've come against, but beaten by smarter, more savvier sides. And that is the real test for Soka, I suppose, and that's where we're going to see the kind of real metal this. But so far, the signs in that regard have been encouraging. Do you think? Um, do you, like where, where would you peg England now? Do you think from what you've seen so far, the quality we've seen from teams, and obviously taking into account the strength of opposition, but from what we've seen so far, do you think England are a, a kind of a last eight team? Yeah, definitely. I'd be surprised if they don't make last eight, to be honest. So, so that's an upgrade, basically, on, on what we thought coming into the tournament, which was last. a last 16-ish. Um, well, I, actually, I think there was always a fair, fair confidence, given the, the group directly facing England is, or sorry, the teams that played in the last 16, is Group H, with Colombia, Senegal, and Japan, who are all good teams, but given the, given the sides you could have come up against, it's, it's favourable. Um, and I... Oh, if England were to play any of those right now, we'd probably have them kind of 51, 49 favourites. Well, uh, I mean, England-Columbia would be a very interesting game indeed. Uh, I think Southgate's... I think Southgate's plan would work quite well against Japan or Senegal. Yeah. Um, it's Colombia who have genuine quality. I think we've seen it with James uh, today, again, and Falcao. Uh, but... Quintero has really stepped up and, and you know he, he's a player who has always had an immense amount of talent but never put it together mm. and probably moved to Europe too young and had a lot of trouble off the field um, more like kind of uh, family stuff and mental stuff that, that he wasn't like a crazy party boy or anything I, I don't want to insinuate that it was, it was his fault um, but he's back on track and he's been playing some, some great football basically this, this tournament he's made himself undroppable uh, where really he only played uh, in the first game because at the last minute Hammers just wasn't quite fit and he only came on for half an hour. So Hammers mm. isn't fully fit. I think that was obvious from um, today. He, he still isn't fully mobile. But when he's playing the passes like he played today for uh, the Quadrado goal, I think Colombia are going to be an interesting proposition. Um, 
and unless you've got anything else to say, I guess we'll leave it there. Um, Just notice uh, Neil Henderson, who does uh, yes. a very good job publicising the uh, the front pages and back pages every day uh, for the BBC. But he's, uh, he's, he's, he's had a tweet there that's, that's going to cause a crackle with many uh, Irish people in which he's accused, uh, he's responding to a piece of Roy Keane's punditry by saying, from a guy who deserted his national squad, who deserted his national squad. No, that is, that is factually incorrect. No one really cares about <laughs> Ireland's like 2002 World Cup campaign, um, except you. Um, but I understand that there is uh, more reading material on that. Stuttgart to, to Saipan, <laughs> Google that, um, and you can read all about Roy Keane temper tantrum, Mick McCarthy losing his mind, and uh, pretty much everything in between. Um, stuff going on the website at 7am tomorrow morning it's all lined up ready to be published uh, we've got Michael Michael Cox analysing the, the tactics of well how can you say it England's absolute smashing of uh, Panama uh, Jack Pitt Brook has written about Harry Kane Gary Lineker and, and the Golden Boot Johnny Lou um, I haven't read his piece yet so uh, there's a surprise piece from Johnny Lou um, I've done a, a quick sweep of the world's media to see how they reacted and, uh, to England and what people think about England. Uh, and then we've got you know, the usual stuff, a preview of Spain-Morocco, uh, which is happening uh, tomorrow afternoon, or if you're listening uh, on Monday morning, today. Uh, so have a nice day, have a nice week, and we'll be with you again tomorrow as we are every day. And uh, you know, as ever, please review, rate, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, we'll see you at another corner. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.